Good morning. I uh, obviously am out of practice. I didn't have my stool. I forgot my water this morning, and so we'll get back into it. What book have you been working through? <clears throat> Philippians. And so we're in the middle of that, and my computer just decided to go. Okay. <clears throat> I feel a little bit like I'm jumping into the middle of a series, so I'm going to try and play catch up. This week I was catching me up. Now let's catch we up, okay? Uh, we have what we call a pulpit team. You know what that means? We build pulpits. <laughs> we work through the text together to try and figure out what it says. And then once you figure out what it says, how do we communicate it in some understandable whole? And so we have been wrestling with Philippians this week, particularly in Philippians 2, Neil started us there last week. And so what I'm going to do today is kind of set the stage for the Christmas season in a way. Do you know that Christmas is coming up? That's the month of December. And right before Christmas, we do what? Advent. And so we're going to take a look at Philippians 2 based on the mind of Christ and what it looked like for Christ to come from his perspective. And that'll be in the next few weeks. You know the tenor of this letter, it's one of affection and deep longing care that Paul has for these people. Of all the New Testament letters, perhaps Philippians is the most personal and it's the most affectionate. Have you ever considered what you really want for your children? Somebody better say yes. What we're, what we're reading is a very personal letter expressing the heart of a spiritual father for his children and what he wants for them. In Philippians 1, 8 to 11, he says for this, For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The New Living translates verse 10, I want you to understand what really matters. There are things that far outweigh other things in life, are there not? There are things that matter way more than other things. And Paul wants his readers, those he dearly loves, to be able to distinguish those things that matter from those things that do not. And the thing that absolutely matters is what? And the greatest of these is? What are the two commandments, two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. Paul wants his readers, those he loves dearly, to be able to distinguish the more valuable things. And the thing that is absolutely matters the most is love, authentic love. Knowing love, being loved, and loving. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul outlines all the spiritual gifts, right? And there's a whole myriad of them. I saw a meme this week that a poor guy uh, really was hoping for the gift of prophecy and got the gift of giving, and he wasn't very happy. <laughs> 
there are certain gifts that we want, certain gifts that we don't want. What Paul is saying is of all the gifts, the greatest is love. And he finishes chapter 12 by saying, now I want to show you a more excellent way. The New Living Translation says a way of life that is best of all. It's a life of loving and being loved. Philippians, particularly the section that we are in, is an exposition of that life that is best of all. It describes how we love. I want to read Philippians 2, 1 to 11, and then we're going to talk a little about it. So if there is, so if there is, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing. Just want to know if you're still with me. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. During Advent, we'll be looking at Philippians 2 and thinking through it from Christ's perspective. This morning, I want to consider kind of the how of how we live, how we're admonished to live in Philippians 2. If this is a way of living, if this is a way that we live in love, in relationship, in harmony, how do we do that? Let's be honest. We can't really drum this up. Nor are we to just imitate Jesus. And some of the commentaries I read, it said that this is an admon admonition to imitate the way Jesus lived. My, my friends, that's impossible. We're not to imitate the way Jesus lived. We're to actually have his mind, which he's already giving it, given to us. So how do we get what isn't natural to become natural for us? Is it natural to live self-sacrificially like this passage says? Is it natural for you with your spouse? If somebody said yes, quick, write a book. Is it natural to live this way for your kids? Is it natural for your kids to live this way with each other? Is it natural for people where you work or in your school system or anywhere to live this way? No. What Paul is saying is, I want you to be supernatural. 
have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I think that's the key to this section that we find in verse 5. Paul's admonition to his beloved readers is to have the mind of Christ permeating not only their individual lives, but their corporate lives as it is already their mind. It's a command. It's a concept that Neil reminded us last week is very difficult to translate into English. It literally is to be minded with the mind of Christ that we have already been given by him. We've already been given it, so how do we appropriate it? I spent the last several months wrestling with trying to understand and, and, and appropriate this stuff into my own life, but also as I'm talking to a bunch of people, some of them pastors, some of them individuals, some of them couples who are in trouble, why is it that many of us, if not most of us, probably all of us, in some ways live our lives, some if not all of our lives, as if we were unconverted? Now let me unpack that a little bit. By that I mean that we are controlled by things other than Christ. It might be circumstances, might be people, or habits, or attitudes, or feelings, or addictions, or whatever. But the same old stuff continues to permeate and control our lives, and it is as if we can't help ourselves. Hmm. I must be alone in this. Who said you're not alone? I'm going to come and sit by you. So, in some ways, we end up being stuck in who we were. We continue to become who we were. The core of our being doesn't seem to get altered, so we stay who we always have been, who we were, in essence, before we were in Christ. So, those of us who, by nature are fearful, stay Oof. Those of us who are by nature angry, stay Those of us who have developed addictions, stay addicted. Now listen to what I'm going to say here. It's as if we are saved, but we are still enslaved. Now, when I see your heads go like this or hear the uh, conservative evangelical grunt, my wife is from an Assembly of God background where they said amen and did all kinds of things. The church I grew up was very conservative, and we went like this. Mm. And so Linda calls it the name of that church, Grunt. And since she had the gift of interpretation, I told her she understands what it meant. We don't want to be, but we certainly seem to be enslaved. We're living wrong-minded, and our lives become the product of thinking the wrong way. If I'm a loser, then I live as a 
loser. If I'm fearful and I say that's just who I am, then I live in fear. What Paul is describing in Philippians 2, loving each other, even to our own detriment, is a product of our mindset or our mindedness, and it's centered in who we are in Christ. It comes from what we believe and what we value based on those beliefs. Paul desires something much better for the Philippians and for us. Notice that in verse 1, it's based on a new reality. He's saying this, if indeed there are certain things that are true about being in Christ... They're true now because we're in Christ. They weren't true before. But if there are things that are now true, they've changed, then the Philippians are to be like-minded, having the same love because we have the same mind. Again, at the end of that verse, Paul talks about mindedness. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, that in turn, the one-mindedness is a product of having the same Spirit of God. Now, I'm going to use a word here. Don't panic, okay? We're going to talk about theology a little bit. And then we're going to talk about practicality. Theology, I want to use a synonym for. Theology is the study of God. But really, it is more than just studying God. It is who God is, what he does, and how the whole universe functions in relation to him. That's theology. So I'm going to use this synonym. Theology is really another word for reality, right? If I live as if God doesn't exist or we can't know him, then my theology impacts my reality. reality. Perhaps we could use the word truth. It's the way things really are, but It is the way in which reality of God impacts everything else. Now, this is an old movie. I still think it's contemporary, but do you remember The Matrix? I heard a rumor that they're making a new sequel. I cannot wait. But in The Matrix, what appeared as absolute reality was absolute facade. It wasn't true at all. And so we have to recognize reality or truth or the theology of how life works. The theology or reality that I want to talk about today is twofold. One, that in Christ we are new creations. You ain't what you was. Now, I know that's not correct English. You ain't what you was. We're different. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 says, therefore, from now on, 
We regard no one according to the flesh. We have a different perspective. We think differently. Our vision, our version of truth is differently. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is the same old guy with a Jesus jacket. He is a what? Truth or not? I think it's easy to answer truth, but to really count on it by faith, walk in it is a different gig. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Paul literally says, We think differently about life and people because in Christ, we now have a new nature. Everything has changed. The reality is, and we sing this fairly often, we are who God says we are. I want to debate God with that. God says, you're my child, loved by me. I created you. I called you. I love you. And what do I want to say? How could you love me? I'm unlovely. Therefore, I live in a false reality that somehow I have to earn God's favor. When did God build me? From the beginning of time. When did God die for me? A few years ago. He chose me and he loved me and he called me to be in Christ, which changes the reality of who I am and the reality of how my world now should function. Our identity is not in who we, what we do, it's who we are in him. The second theological truth or reality is that we already have the mind of Christ. Neil said this last week. Paul's not telling the Philippians to go get his mind, to go find his mind, to figure out his mind. They already have it. 1 Corinthians 2.16, for those for who has understood the mind of Christ so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. That whole chapter, I'm going to encourage you to read it, maybe interact with that some in your growth group this week. Paul told the Corinthians that wisdom or truth or understanding that is from God is different than wisdom or truth or understanding that comes from any philosophy or any other place in the world, even our own thinking or our emotions. It's based on God's version of reality, which is actually reality, supernatural reality. If you read that entire section then, you'll find that the mind of Christ is a product of the Holy Spirit living in us. Now, what's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives? multifaceted. He's a helper. But his primary ministry is to tell us the truth. That's what he does. John 14, Jesus told his disciples it was better for them that he leave so the Holy Spirit would come. Now, that had to be a mind blower for the disciples. So many of us even think, man, I wish I could have just walked with Jesus. You know how limited we would be if we were just walking with Jesus? He said, I got to go so that the Spirit of God can come so that when he comes, he 
The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. He'll take what I say and have said and learn you, teach you, put it in your way of thinking and mind. Paul closes his letter to the Ephesians by a discussion of the armor of God that we are to wear. And in chapter 6, verse 17, he says, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The ministry of the spirit of God is to take the word of God and do brain surgery. More accurately, it may be to do brain physical therapy or personal training. Ever, any of you ever been to a gym and had a personal trainer? What does he do? He what? Hurts you. Hurts you. <laughs> There's some truth to that. But when you go in and you first meet a trainer, what does he ask? What do you want to accomplish? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be? And then what he does is says, well, that's a pipe dream. No, what he says is, if we're going to get you from here to there, we're going to begin to do some things to train you. The same thing is true of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God and begins to say, do this. Now, a good physical trainer doesn't just turn you loose to exercise. Why? We cheat on the exercises, right? We make them easier so we can look better. If I do curls and I throw the bar like this, I can write on the chart that I can curl a lot more than I can really curl, but it doesn't do me any good. So the Holy Spirit of God has to take the Word of God and specifically address it to our mind and say, I have to correct the way you think based on the truth of God. Are you with me? And we get to say yes or no. He's not going to override my thinking. Let me say that again. He's not going to override my thinking. I don't have to get his mind. I need to make up my mind about what's true. Make sense? No. Okay. So that's the theology. Let's get to the practicality. If theology is reality, then practicality might be described as living in light of reality. It's the reality... If the reality is that in Christ we are new creations, we've been forgiven, declared righteous, born from above, given a new life, given his mind, it includes who God is. It also includes what he has done, and because of what he has done, who we now are. And what he wants to do is to conform us to the likeness of his son. Transformation then occurs as we take God at his word and choose to believe what he says rather than what we think 
which unfortunately is often based on how we feel. By faith, we choose to live in the reality of our new identity in him. Paul challenged the Galatians, as you began by faith, so by faith, continue to walk. By faith, by faith. Spiritual formation, then, is the beginning, is beginning to live in light of or conform our lives to truth based on a new reality. What Paul's saying to the Philippians, and I believe to us, is be mindful have this mindset of the reality of who we are in Christ. Live in light of who he is and what he declares to be true. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. It, it, it's the process of working out our salvation. You know what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, when your mind is renewed, you can begin to test that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, and by implication to walk in it. Because of theology, absolute reality in Christ, which is Romans 1 to 11, we're to turn our lives over to him. What often determines how we think? The world, our flesh, our history, the enemy will lie to us. We have some dear friends whose 18-year-old son just committed suicide. Somewhere in his mind, he believed a lie. You're no good. You're worthless. There's no way out. There's no hope. If you take your life, it will get better. And all of that somehow became reality to him. And he acted on what he believed to be reality, but was absolute falsehood. Our individual sins are not the problem. Others are not our problem. Our, our lives are not our problem. The, it, the way we respond to stuff is the fruit of or indicators of operating from a wrong mindset. Here is how this is happening for me recently. My struggle is with significance, with insecurity. When I begin to think that my value or worth comes from being the perfect pastor. Oh, Pastor Doug, we just need you. You know what that does to an insecure guy? But what it also does is feel the, fuel a false sense of reality. The results, it results in superficiality or even deception because I can't let anybody see that I really am jacked up. In the flesh, I tend to live, and I had to face this this summer, 
in nearly constant fear. I was sharing this with some brothers in Christ, and they said, us too. I would never have guessed that about either one. I live in fear of disappointing people, so the outworking of that, the consequence of that, is becoming an image. I have to try and make a difference. My significance is what I do, and I need to make a difference in lives. And that results in sinful or unholy because it's living from a place other than God. So I get to choose when confronted with those thoughts by faith to have his mind and live in his reality one step at a time. And that is how heart transformation happens. Application for this week. I'll put it in the blog, maybe a long blog, because I got a lot of message left. Ask yourself this week, what one thing tends to own me? Habit? Emotion? Where do I get stuck? And upon what belief or version of truth is that based? Where does it come from? Fear, anger, unforgiveness, lying, some form of addiction, I don't know. Upon what belief does that, is that based on? Then ask yourself, is the gospel true? And does it have an answer or an alternative truth to that version that I can set my mind on. One quick illustration, and the clock says I have one minute and 15 seconds. 11, 10. <laughs> I got an email from someone who got an email from a young man, and he is in a place where he's working kind of all by himself. He's isolated. And in his work environment, he said, man, I didn't have anything to do after work, so I began to read my Bible. And then he said this, what I'm realizing is I must decide if it's true. Because if what I'm reading is true, it changes everything. What he is saying is, I have to change my mind about life if it's true. I have to begin to conform my thinking to his thinking. Spiritual transformation comes from allowing the Holy Spirit to change our mind about life one step at a time by faith. Father, may we grasp what it means to have the mind of Christ. I confess that this is only the beginning, but it seems to me to be the heart and soul of what Paul is saying is that you can live this way in the first part of Philippians 2 because you have the mind of Christ. 
And he lived this way. Father, help us this week to begin to address some of the things that seem to control us because we have wrong mindsets. May we choose to set our minds on things above, to set our minds on you, to adopt your mindset, which you have already provided for us. I pray in Jesus' name.